shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakeland, Charles 478 Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Ceballero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, it's that time of the week, ladies and gentlemen, once again to go Inside EMS. You know, I'm Chris, he's Kelly, and we're going to bring you a great show as we do always. So, Kelly Grayson, come on in here, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. That's so boring, man. How you doing, brother? Try something again. Give, give them a little bit more showmanship. They want to, they want the showmanship. All right, that's that's pretty showmanshipy, man. That's good. Uh, so, how you doing? Good. Oh man, I'm I'm uh, headed to our state EMS conference. Got a, a fishing trip with a couple of buddies that we're bringing in to speak at the conference, and uh, um, just getting through with uh, EMT class. So I'm literally leaving class, driving home, feeding the dogs, packing a suitcase, and driving to home of Louisiana. And then I'll be gone for four days doing that. So, uh, what, what no you, rest for the weary. What you don't do for this show? Oh my goodness! What I, I don't do, man. I am. Yeah, I I, I sacrificed so much. I got to tell you, man. I got to <laughs> tell you that you are the man of the hour. I, I've said it before, but. Uh, so I'm sure people don't want to hear us gab about personal life, but uh, you do have a personal message you want to send. Let me go ahead and kick that to you. And, uh, you know, very, very sad times in EMS this week. Yeah, um, we lost a, uh, a star EMS educator and a great guy, um, and a guy with a lot of passion and zeal for EMS uh, yesterday, Rich Beebe who's uh, a uh, stellar EMS educator and uh, author of an EMT and a paramedic textbook for Delmar Publishing uh, and longtime conference speaker. Hit a uh, was struck by a minivan riding his motorcycle on the 26th of May and uh, busted up pretty bad, broken pelvis, a couple of broken arms, internal injuries, and they were managing to, they had managed to stabilize those things and, and at least surgically repair them. Uh, and Rich just yesterday had a, uh, or day before yesterday, rather, had a uh, episode of chest pain and difficulty breathing, and he coded, and, and they worked him for, for an hour, uh, and were unable to get him back. So we have, man, we, we've lost uh, one of those people in EMS you really can't afford to lose. Uh, you know, we offer our prayers and solace to his family, and uh, we know they're, they're missing him, and this is a great hole in their lives. Uh, but uh, he's going to live on. He's, there are thousands of rich BB EMTs and paramedics out there who are taking care of patients and, and teaching their own students these days, and uh, they're going to they're going to continue his legacy. So uh, Rich not, might not be here with us anymore, but his uh, his presence is going to echo for some time in the events. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I mean, we we, we lose great uh, people in EMS, you know, from the provider level to the educators to the the leaders in our career field. You know, one of the things that, you know, I say a lot is that we are writing our professional legacy every day. And regardless yep. of what position you're in, you've got to know that, you know, when we move on to the next world, um, people sum up our life in, in, in one or two sentences. And I always tell people, you know, what, what are the sentences going to be that, that describes your life, that describes your career? And we, we write that legacy, Kelly, every day when we go to work and, and when we put our professionalism into the things that we do. And, uh, you know, we're not guaranteed that we're going to be here tomorrow. And, and here's a guy who was a, uh, you know, an educator who was uh, doing what he loved, riding his motorcycle. 
and somebody cut his life short. And I think what we have to do is we have to be able to know that we're writing our, our professional legacy every day and, and do the very best we can that, uh, you know, when our time comes, people are going to say the good things about us. Yeah, you know, it's Rich was, uh, if there's one thing that stood out to him and uh, stood out with him in my in my dealings with him is he his passion for EMS. I mean, he lived, sleep, slept, ate, and breathed EMS. Uh, you know, and, and many people do that, but not, as, not many people communicate uh, the knowledge and skill that he had with such passion and such, uh, you know, such enthusiasm. Go to pretty much any EMS conference, and you'll find speakers that can entertain you. You will find speakers that can educate you, and you will find speakers that can inspire you. But to find speakers that can do all three is a very short list indeed, and Rich Beebe was on that list. He could educate, inspire, entertain. Um, I sat in one of his lectures on the 21st, five days before he got in his accident about seizures, and I consider myself a pretty knowledgeable guy for a paramedic about seizure uh, management, and uh, I learned some stuff. There was new stuff in there that I hadn't heard before, uh, so you know, he managed to uh, increase my, my knowledge base on, on seizures, and um, you know, as an EMS educator, there are educators out there that turn out students and paramedics, and there's a select few that create acolytes, uh, people that are so proud of the education that they got that they will refer to themselves as, you know, I'm a rich BB paramedic or I'm a rich BB EMT. Um, and that list of educators that, that you know, promotes that level of pride and devotion uh, among their students is short indeed, and, and you'll find quite a few people from up, upstate New York who will proudly say that they're rich, baby paramedics. And they're going to continue his legacy because um, he taught them the right things. And, and we hope that his family uh, finds peace uh, and, and healing soon, and uh, we'll honor his legacy by being the best paramedics and EMTs we can be. I agree with you. So let's go ahead and uh, talk about this week's show. You know, uh, Kelly, you you entertain. You, you just uh, ha- have that way of uh, bringing out you know information in a way that I think is just so entertaining. Thank you, man. Well, you don't need to cry, man. Everything will be okay. But so yesterday okay. I was reading your article that you uh, posted. Uh, my love hate relationship with EMS, and the byline is. A full life weighs more than an empty one, but who I have become because of my EMS experience has made me a better friend and caregiver. And I, I thought as I read this, you know, I, I was entertained. You know, I think you made some really great points, and I thought it'd be really good just to kind of dissect this article a little bit, Kelly, yeah. and kind of and kind of talk about because I think we all have a love hate relationship with EMS. So, you know, the first thing I want to ask you is what was your what was your brainchild for this? How, how did this come about? It was one of those, it's been tumbling around in my head for some time on how to articulate um, the secret to career longevity and to, to overcoming burnout. And, and for me, it, what I tell people, new EMTs, is like, Kelly, how long have you been doing it? 23 years, 25 years. Man, how do you not get burnt out? I said, well, I do get burnt out. I just overcome it. Uh, and part of it is uh, a big part of overcoming or avoiding burnout is perspective. Um, one of the problems 
what people go through burnout is they forget all the cool things that they got into EMS to do that are still cool things, and they focus on all the things that are you know, tedious and, and the drudgery of EMS uh, and the organizational factors that, that sap our job satisfaction. And, and it's really that they focus on, uh, on all the bad things. And that's what burnout is. You get to the point where the only things you can see are the things that tax your patience and your, and your, uh, your enthusiasm, and you don't see all the good things in EMS anymore. So, uh, you know, part of career longevity is having the perspective to realize that, hey, it's really not all that bad, and happiness is a choice. You know, you focus on the good stuff, and the rest of the stuff, you just let roll off your back. It's one of the things you have to deal with, but uh, the happiness is worth it. You know, one of the things that I That's think... Why- yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about that we control our own happiness, we control our own motivation. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I think is missing when we talk about EMS and it and it being a career field and, and having good sustainability is the lack of of, of solid leadership that uh, keeps that keeps us in the game. You know, because one of the things that I think, and this was a long lesson for me, you know, as an EMS chief. You know, the challenges I had in my career was I really didn't know the best way, ways to lead people. And I was a cause of, I was a cause of a lot of people leaving the career field with my egotism and with my ignorance and with my, uh, you know, trying to advance my career more than, you know, trying to help the people who were doing the job. And I think when, when we as leaders are able to focus ourselves and 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 serve the people who are doing the job and 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 you know grow yeah. them professionally and and help them get to the next stages i think that gives people a better opportunity in their career to stay a little bit longer and maybe to avoid these things that uh, cause burnout what do you think of that yeah you know it's it's a well known fact that the biggest contributors uh to burnout or disillusionment in, in any career field, but especially EMS, or the organizational stressors. It's not drunk patients and, and car wrecks, blood and gore, and, and the personal tragedy and stuff. Um, we can learn to deal with these, those things, or we at least learn to compartmentalize it and, and deal with it uh, constructively. But what is harder to shed is a supervisor you absolutely hate or being made to feel like you are just a cog in the wheel and you have no uh, say in the, the direction of the organization and that you're just a warm body, you're beating the seat. When you get that per- perception, that really saps your job satisfaction. And that all translates back to leadership and, and how you are made to feel by your superiors in the organization. Um, you know, I've always I've, I've said for 25 years now that... You can pay people well and treat them poorly, and they will stay. You can treat them well and pay them poorly, and they will stay. But if you treat them poorly and pay them poorly, they're going to go somewhere else. Uh, and, and that's really, I think, effective leadership all boils down to that. Um, treat them well, pay them well, and you will have a, work, a stable workforce of happy people uh, and people clamoring to get in because there will be very few openings and a waiting list of people wanting to go to work for your agents. Yeah, and I think that one of the challenges, though, when we talk about you know good leadership is the fact of where are we getting that you know that leadership training that we need to be successful. And a lot of we, us, we don't. Yeah, you know, you're, you're uh, absolutely right. Your book 
and other other places are starting to touch on the, the tenets of leadership. But that's a huge problem at EMS. Is we we seem to think that that you know career longevity and job seniority translates to leadership skills. Nothing can be further from the truth. It just you know often the supervisors the people that that hunt around long enough without getting tired. Right. No, you're absolutely right. But so, you know, one of the things I, I was thinking about when I was reading your article, and when you talk about a love hate relationship, you really don't you, you really don't pound EMS for the hating side. I mean, you kind of talk a little tongue in cheek about the love hate relationship. But if I'm going to ask you as a paramedic and a paramedic who still sits in the truck today, 25 years mm-hmm. worth of experience, you know, and hate's a strong word, but for the for the purposes of entertainment, what are the things that you hate about EMS? The things I hate about EMS, well, uh, like a lot of street medics, I, I hate superiors and supervisors that don't remember what it was like to be on the streets and they're divorced from the actual work that they expect us to do. They have unrealistic expectations. You know, a simple tenet of leadership is if you're going to be an effective leader, you don't ask the subordinate to do anything that you're not willing and able to do at least as well as they are. Uh, and when you have leaders like that that don't practice that simple fundamental of leadership, it snaps on you. And I've been in agencies that did that. Uh, I'm lucky enough in the, in the agency I'm working with now in the area for Acadian Ambulance I work with, uh, I have good supervisors. They're supervisors I've known for, for many years, and most of them have been in EMS and, and still practice servant leadership. And Acadian actually focuses on that sort of thing in their supervisor training. But... Um, not every place is like that. And, and quite frankly, I don't imagine every area of, of Acadian ambulance is like that. I'm lucky in, in that regard. Uh, other things I hate about EMS, I hate, hate, hate the fact that EMS clings to dogma and tradition so much and ignores science. Um, there, you know, we got people that are still out there practicing EMS as they practiced it 20 years ago and seeing nothing wrong with it. Um, on the other hand, if that was all I focused on, I would be, I would be disillusioned and, and, and uh, have no hope for, for change. But I also look back and realize that EMS is a far different career field than it was 20 years ago. Uh, and it's going to be a far different career field than uh, 20 years from now. Um, so the change is coming. Uh, and it may not be fast enough to suit me. Uh, and there may not be enough people uh, who share my views on the, the future and the direction of EMS. But by God, there's a lot more of them than there were even seven years ago. Yeah. So when I got on Facebook, when I got on Facebook, uh, and and Jim's would, uh, would publish my, my blog posts, um, I would have hundreds of people going, ambulance driver, oh, you suck. You know, just because of the name of my blog or the name of my column on EMS1. Oh, ambulance driver files, oh, that sucks. Who knows an ambulance driver? You know, I went to school for six whole months and learned to do questionable beneficial stuff without really knowing why. You suck for being calling me an ambulance driver. And they would do that sort of thing. And arguing with people who have no concept of satire and irony is tiresome. So I could tell people, you know, dude, it's a goof on the public perception of EMS. Um, and they still don't get it. <laughs> 
that uh, that wears on me. But I also look at it now that when they do that, uh, when someone gripes, there will be 50 other people going, dude, you need to lighten up. It's a blog title, not an insult. Lighten up. Yeah. Or I, they'll post a dictionary definition of satire. So a lot more people are getting it than they used to. And I think that uh, not using my blog title as a as a uh, as an example, but there's a whole lot more people getting the concept of, of evidence based medicine and and being stewards of their profession than there used to be. So I take heart in that. You know, one of the things that you talk about is, and you and I have debated this on the show before, where we talk about. <laughs> Uh, the dogma of EMS and, you know, and you, you put it very well where people are doing EMS the, today the same way they did it 20 years ago. It's funny that you say that. And you and I have talked about this before, but I talked with a paramedic on Sunday and we were just, uh, you know, kind of chatting around and they were asking me about a call that they ran. And, you know, one of the things that they talk about, and they're a new paramedic. And one of the things he was talking about was a 12 lead EKG and, you know, so I asked him, I said, what is a 12 lead EKG? And, and, and scripted from the classroom, he says, well, it's a, it's a reading that takes 10 different views of your heart. And I said, well, when you say 10 different views of your heart, what do you mean? And he goes, well, it takes the view from the top side and the back side. And the, I said, well, let me tell you something. Let me, let me teach you something that you probably didn't learn in school. The 12 lead EKG only looks at the left ventricle. That's, that's the only thing that it does. But we're still teaching these people in school. I mean, this guy was like a paramedic for a year. We're still teaching these people in school that the 12 EKG takes 10 different views of your heart when actually it doesn't. And, and, and Kelly, I have to ask you, as one of the premier educators in, in our career field, why is there still this um, level of uh, discrepancy that's being taught in the classroom? Well, uh, I think it... The root cause is the, the type of people who recruit into EMS, and those people are, are very skills-centric. They're psychomotor skills-focused, uh, and, and a bunch of they're, they're type A, practical-type thinkers. They don't want to know information that doesn't have a direct bearing on their care. They dislike theory. They like practical application. And that's great. That's all well and good. But if you if you focus solely on practical application and practical knowledge over theory and anatomy and physiology and pathophysiology, you limit your thinking into what you can do, not what you know. And everything is everything winds up being oversimplified. And those people go on, and because they were strong in their skills, uh, they uh, became instructors and. You, you, we're selecting a pool of, of instructors teaching our future EMTs who are not dedicated, lifelong learners. They don't question. Uh, they're, they're much, much uh, preferred to, to memorize and stay comfortable with information they've already acquired, and they never critically self-examine uh, what it is they know and is it really valid or not. Uh, I was just as guilty of anyone else, uh, as anyone else in that regard. You know, I had my, my little sayings and my, uh, and my favorite aphorisms and, and political pearls. Uh, and it took, I don't know if it was one thing that, that made me see the light. I don't think it was so much of an epiphany. It was just a, a shift in my thinking, thinking, wow, man, a lot of the stuff I thought I knew has changed so much. Uh, I wonder what else, uh, has changed that I'm unaware of. So I started you know, critically examining the, the stuff that I learned in paramedic school and, and realized, well, hey, at least half of it was wrong. Uh, 
uh, you know, EMS changed more than has remained the same. And if you're not constantly reading and constantly questioning the efficacy of what it is that we do, you're going to be behind the times. Um, and, you know, that that's part of the problem is, is we're pre-selecting people who are not engaging in that kind of uh, critical thinking. Um, but it's getting better, you know. We're kind of curricula are, are, are highly focused on science and, and, and the anatomy and physiology and pathophysiology. We're keeping it deep, teaching it deeper and broader. So the, the pool of people that we're selecting instructors from for the next generation are going to be exquisitely better trained than the ones in the last generation. The, we've got new EMTs now and paramedics now that, that are taught in such depth that they keep me on my toes. I have to go back and check things and make sure my knowledge of a, of a particular subject is up to par, uh, lest I say something wrong, make me look foolish. Uh, and that's a good thing. Um, some people aren't uh, are threatened by, by challenges to their knowledge like that, but uh, it, it keeps me on my toes. And, and that's going to be the, the generation of people teaching the, the next bunch of EMTs. Uh, I'm, we're going we're gonna to go places. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's what I tell myself. Every time I'm like, man, there's a bunch of idiot EMTs out there. Um, I also have to say, yeah. But the, the next generation is far better educated than I was, and hopefully the generation of the, after that will be a, a quantum leap ahead uh, as well. So uh, the ratio is shifting. The idiot to uh, idiot to confident provider ratio is is still tipped toward the idiot side, but it's it's getting better, it's getting better every day. And you, you've just got a pretty way of putting words, you know that. But, you know, I think one of the challenges, too, is that... You sure got a pretty mouth. That's right. Uh, okay, so um, let's move along. So, you know... Well, hey, Mr. Lamar, you use your mouth for your... Well, no, yeah, yeah, no, let's not go there. And that's the quote from the famous movie, Blazing Saddles. But anyway, um, you know, one of the things... And I got one more question I want to ask you as we start to move along in time. But I think, you know, going back to the discussion, you know, that you just or the statement you just made about how people aren't questioning the instructors, I think instructors aren't doing a, a good enough job of researching the topic that they're going to be given as well. So if you're going to be teaching cardiology, you're, you're teaching cardiology based on what your knowledge level is. And if you have a good, strong background in cardiology, you're going to be able to uh, regurgitate what you've learned. Now, I, I think what you have to remember to be a great instructor, it's not about reading your slides. It's not about um, teaching the same course that you've taught all the time. They say for every one hour of lecture you give, you should have three to four hours of preparation per hour. So think about what you can learn in three to four hours per one hour block that you have to teach. Bring somebody different information. Get into the medical books. You know, ask, you know, get on the, the blogs and, and, the, and the questioning sites and, and ask some questions to the physicians who are out there online. But don't make it the same humdrum every day. Just because you've taught 12 lead EKG, you know, three lead EKG, respiratory management for the past 10 years, it shouldn't be the same lecture every time. So, Kelly, yeah. One, yeah. one of the things that I want to ask you is, as we start to move along in time is one of the paragraphs that you write is, I hate that EMS changed me, yet the man I was sorely needed to change. Kind of bring this around now to the point of your love-hate relationship and, and how this has you know, chiseled you into the EMS professional you are today. Well, 
you know, EMS does change. The question is, is does it change it for the worse or the better? And it, and it has changed me uh, and hardened me to some things, but it also made me a better person. Uh, the the thing that, you know, you have these, uh, these, these little moments where you look back in time and go, wow, that was really jacked up. We should not be bothered by that. Um, and that's when it really hits home to you that, yes, uh, the profession you're in has fundamentally changed who you are. I worked a call a, a few years back, and there have been a number of these types of calls over the years that made me really question um, what I'm doing and, and whether it's worth it. Uh, a Gulf War vet comes back, or Afghanistan vet, comes back, marries his high school sweetheart. This guy is 24 years old, brand new, newlywed. He's been a, a, a groom for three days, and they're driving up the highway, and they hit a horse in the middle of the road. Horse came through the car and nearly decapitated his high school sweetheart. Now, other people hit the horse, and there was a bolt, there were multiple patients on scene, multiple vehicles involved, and and I was first unit in, and I did my hot lap. I, we, you know, I'm going to trot around the scene. I'm going to make sure to see how many patients we have, and, and see if I can marshal what resources I can before I declare an MCI. So he is sitting in the passenger seat. Uninjured, spattered with their, her blood, and she slumped over with her head on her chest. And I gently tilted her head back and saw that, that only tissue was holding her head off. And I thought to myself, dead me, move on to the next patient. And the entire time, he said, please, God, you got to help her. See if she's okay. So surely there's something you can do to help her. Help her, man. And I just, um, hard to talk about it even that. But at the time, I just thought, dead me, move on. And it wasn't until after the call that I thought, man, there's got to be something wrong with a person that can make that decision so easily. I didn't look at her as a person. I didn't look at her as anything but an unsalvageable piece of meat that was between me and the next patient I could possibly salvage. And that sort of thing is the kind of stuff you have to do to yourself to to be able to effectively triage, but any rational human being has got to ask themselves, you know, how much have I had to carve off my soul to be able to make that decision effectively? And have I carved off enough that I won't have anything left for the people I love? And, you know, right now the answer is yes. i still got enough left for people I love. And and even though I've had to... to uh, learn how to deal with calls like that. It's also made me a, a better husband, a better father, a better friend, because one thing you know when you see a lot of death is uh, it can come for any one of us at any time, and you never know when, uh, when it may visit. So you don't take anything for granted. When, you, when someone's important to you, you tell them you love them. Uh, and you don't leave things unsaid, you don't leave conflicts unresolved, uh, and you don't leave acts undone. You learn to suck the marrow out of life uh, because tomorrow it might all end. You said it yourself. The next call you run might be the last call you run. So if anything uh, EMS has taught me, it has taught me carpe diem. Um, and 
that's something that I sorely needed to learn because I was a little prick when I was 20s, you know. I, I I didn't like people. I stayed away from people. I was a drilling junkie. Um, and I got into EMS not to not so much to help people, although that's the politically correct answer. I got into EMS because I thought it'd be a cool thing to do, and it was you know, and it was a uh, it was a, a cool profession. Uh, and the people I was helping were secondary. Uh, it took me three or four years to figure out that it should be the other way around. Uh, the people are primary, and the cool things you get to do to them. Uh, uh, take a back seat to your, your, you know, the personal effect you have on me. So, uh, yeah, uh, I'm different, but uh, I'm different in a better way on, on the whole. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's, as you gain experience, that's what gives you the opportunity to kind of help people on the worst day of their life. You know, I thought it was important to chat exactly. about I thought it was important to chat about this article, Kelly, because I think yeah. a lot of us out there that are in the career field, they have the feeling uh, that you wrote down here. And I think what you're doing is is by making this front and center, you're letting everyone out there know that it's okay to have a love-hate relationship with our career field because yeah. maybe that's part of the defense mechanism, the survival tactics that keeps us from moving on from patient to patient, yeah. from year to year, and actually turns uh, – uh, you know, EMS into career for a lot of people. You know, so, and, and it all boils down to happiness being a choice. Um, it's it's easier said than done. I'll grant that. But at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself: Is the stuff that you still the the satisfaction you still get out of EMS does it outweigh the negatives? Right? And and most of that is focusing on the things that you enjoy uh, and not letting the things that bother you. Um, take you know, uh, take the forefront. Uh, what's going to happen to us happens to us. What we control is how we react to it. Right. And that's it in a nutshell. Uh, bad stuff's going to happen. What we control is how we react to it. So I choose to react to it uh, as constructively as I can, learn from it, and focus on the good stuff. But hey, that's what I say. You may say something different. So tell me how full of crap I am or how much you agree with me. We'd like to hear your thoughts, questions, concerns, and comments. So email us at the show at EMS1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and fellow staving off burnout professional